Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, and Edward R. Murrow and Gracie Award winner with Legacy Radio Station KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm joined by Julie Smith author, instructor, public speaker, and our guide for how to be a savvy media consumer. In our first season, we focused on dissecting messages. This season, transparency from the mouths of the content creators. I love it, and it comes naturally to me, but trying to be interesting for four hours a day, five days a week, is literally impossible. In this episode, Talk is Work. 20-year talk radio veteran Dave Glover tells us how he crafts his afternoon show. I'm not sure whether my show is so different because of me, um, but it's not like a normal show where it's like, okay, uh, Britney Spears conservatorship. Let's get someone to talk about that. I don't care. And no one cares. Um, what I do is I tell my guys the, the gold lives in the mistakes. So what we want to do is we want to do a show like a normal person would do a show, but where the show really uh, has has been successful is when things go off the rail and something unexpected happens. And maybe it's me. And I think it's something funny or a weird angle or Andrew says something or Rachel says something. And like, that's why we play games. We don't play games so people can see who wins Studio Feud. We play games for the the weird little mistakes that happen and then it turns into something hilarious and it doesn't always like sometimes we'll do a segment or we'll play a game and it's just a game or it's just a segment but when the show is at its best it's because something has gone wrong and then we capitalize on it it's all about fish hooks i just have like if you picture these like big treble fish hooks like all i do every day is try to throw as many of those out there and hoping that something catches And when it catches, that's when you get lightning in a bottle. And that's when you do something really, really interesting. If for the people who know exactly what they're going to do every day going into a show, I just think that you're building a boring show. Um, There has to be, I remember Howard Stern said that you want the house of cards to sway, but you never want it to fall. And so some people just let it fall every day. And that's boring. And some people never let their house of cards sway. And that's boring. Everything's just, okay, it's 420. We're going to do this. It's 435. We're going to do this. I like the house of cards to sway a little bit every day. And so it's not an exact science. It's way more of an art. 
It doesn't always work, but when it does, people seem to like it. You know, for me, Dave, I've always been in radio uh, in the news side of it instead of the talk side of it. And I always have to be real careful when I do go on the air on a show that I'm not expressing opinions about current news stories or political events. And I've always wondered for talk show hosts, if there are times that you take a position that you might not necessarily completely personally agree with, but you do it because you know, it's going to be a a hit with listeners. I don't necessarily get that much of a sense with you, but I always Mm -hmm. wonder if talk radio shows show hosts sometimes do that. I think absolutely. I don't think it's just talk show hosts. I think it's everyone at this point. Um, My personal opinion is that politics on the right and on the left has become become primarily about uh, people being afraid to give their true opinion. If I really tell you what I think about January 6th, I'm going to be persona non grata. If I really tell you what I think about the Green New Deal, I'm never going to be in with the Democrats. And I've seen it happen. I watch it happen. I've watched it happen with congressmen. I've watched it happen with my colleagues. I've watched it happen nationally. And I try my best not to fall into that. One way is just not to give as many opinions, you know. Uh, But when I do, I always give my unvarnished opinion. That's something I learned a long time ago from Glenn Beck is that you just, you can't, you can't hide. When you talk four hours a day, five days a week, you can't hide your personality. You can't hide your secrets. You can't hide your, your values. So you just have to put it out there. I tell my students at the end of the semester, if they can't tell how I have voted, then I have done a good job. Yeah. But that is really, really hard because I challenge whatever they say, even if I agree with it. Yeah. And that's, that's really hard to do. So I, I admire your ability to do that. Yeah. It kind of goes back. I was a lawyer before this and it takes me back to WashU law school and being introduced to the Socratic method and the way they teach you in law school is that they, they basically just question everything mm-hmm. and they make you defend everything, frustratingly so, but it sharpens your sword and it really makes you able to see all sides of things. And it's the way I like to just be in life. And it's the way I like to be as a broadcaster. I have my opinions. I'm pretty moderate, but my, my moderation is an average. I'm pretty conservative about physical things and the military and get off your couch and go work. But I'm very liberal about social things. I don't care who you marry. I don't care. You know, I don't care. Uh, And I guess that makes me a moderate because the Republicans don't want me and the Democrats don't want me. So I guess I guess I'm just somewhere in the middle with that. But I agree. I I don't think it's interesting. I, I really I've lost my interest in political radio and political television. And I used to do this for four hours a day go home, watch Tucker Carlson, watch Chris Cuomo after that. And lately I've been watching the first five minutes and then I go watch Ancient Aliens, you know? So it's like, it's sort of lost me. I think one of the hardest things in radio is that you don't have direct contact with your listeners a lot of times. You don't know what's sticking and what's bouncing off. So how do you know if your content is good or not? Uh, I'm an ensemble guy and I have done the Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity thing when I filled in for Glenn Beck about 50 times and I didn't like it and they didn't like me. <laughs> like, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not a soloist uh, and I play off of people. So it's easier for me because I'm in a room full of people who I think are smart and funny. And if I can make them laugh and if I can engage them, that's a really good barometer that people like Rush and Sean and people who do the show by themselves just don't have. Um, 
things uh, with social media is very, very, very strange because, you know, when you go to Yelp and you see the five star reviews and then you see a bunch of one star reviews. Well, it seems to me like social media is just made up of people, the one star review people. And so if you live and die by what people say about you on Twitter or Facebook, you're just going to quit. And the same way that if you owned a restaurant and you only saw one star reviews, you would shut down. And that was difficult for me because even after 21 years, I'm pretty thin skinned. So I don't have a single social media platform. I don't see it unless it's really positive or really negative. The guys think I need to. So a lot of it is just gut. And I'll say this as well. Um, when I first started, I had no training, no experience. All I could do is just be me. And it worked very, very well. And I think it's because most people in the media, they talk like this and they enunciate and they say things perfectly. And here's the thing. You're the only ones who do that. No other human speaks like that. Nobody, no one in our lives talk like that. So why does the media who sort of represents us speak like that? It's ridiculous. So I just speak like this the same way that I'm speaking. And I think that allows me to communicate so much more effectively and cut through it because I'm speaking the literal language and tone and cadence that other humans do. And when you turn on the television, you're listening to a different language. Dave, a couple of podcasts ago, we did an episode on how people feel like they have relationships with people in the media that they spend a lot of time with. It's called parasocial relationships. Have you ever been in a situation where people approach you because they recognize your voice or they feel like they know you and you don't know them from Adam? And what's that like for you? Yeah, literally, like other than COVID, literally every day. Um, <laughs> and it's the biggest compliment that I get. And people will approach me like I'm their big brother or little brother. Um, they, they start the conversation in the middle of the conversation. They'll see me at a grocery store and, and they rarely say, excuse me, are you Dave Glover? I just want to tell you I enjoy the show. They'll just walk up and start vomiting words. They'll just walk up and be like, oh, my God, Bigfoot. Oh, my God. The other day when you said this and, and you just ride the bucking Bronco. And I, I always try to give people as much as I possibly can. One, because they deserve it, because I've done very well in my career because of them. And two, because that's just the right thing to do. And I enjoy it. Like your last question about how can you tell if you're doing a good job or not? When you meet someone at QT and they talk to you for 20 minutes, you have a pretty good idea you're doing a decent job. How then do you balance your own privacy? Because listeners can put a lot of pieces together by just a few little comments that might be made on the air. Do you worry about that much? I didn't until I had my 50th birthday party at my house. And the second person there was a listener. And... <laughs> He said, I figured out where you live and I figured out your car. And he was like an old guy in like a biker shirt. And my sister-in-law invited him in, not knowing who he is. So there are only about eight people there. And there's a guy standing in my backyard under a big tent drinking a beer. And I walked up and he introduced himself and he handed me a card, <clears throat> happy birthday card, written in evidently serial killer language. And... Uh, we politely asked him to leave after about an hour. I had a couple beers with him. He was a nice guy. But yeah, that like after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to start being a little more careful with this out when I'm out in public. Uh, I'm a public figure. I don't hide. 
I, I encourage people on the air to come up and talk to me and they do, but, uh, but yeah, I, I shouldn't be so obvious about where I live and that kind of stuff. What's one thing that listeners would be surprised about when you talk about how you put your show together? What's one thing that you think would surprise them? How difficult it is. Um, People would uh, message me quite often and say, uh, okay, you're funny, but my brother-in-law is funnier. (laughs) And I would say, you're probably right. Um, Both my siblings are funnier than me, but here's the thing. If your brother-in-law can come in and talk for an hour without crying, I'll give him a cookie. If he can do four hours, uh, he'll have all my respect. If he can do it for a week, if he can come in and do it after he had a fight with his wife or his child has the flu, um, it's, it's, I love it and it comes naturally to me, but trying to be interesting for four hours a day, five days a week is literally impossible. It's not, no one can do it. I can't do it. All I can do is uh, shoot for the highest percentage of interesting I can, but no one can fill four hours a day. There's no comedian in the world. There's no thinker in the world. You can't hold an audience that long. So I think that's what people would be most uh, surprised by. Because when I hit the airwaves and I'm like, hey, this one time in seventh grade, I wore a swim cap inside out. Um, That took me 23 hours to get together. One thing we haven't talked about is the bottom line of how your show makes money for you and the station. How does that work? You know, I'm only kind of recently understanding it. Um, I'm, I'm really not a fully formed grown up, um, which, which kind of helps me in some ways. I'm, I'm like 14, you know, 56 going on 14, but they recently published like, uh, how much each talent brings in for live endorsements. And I, I don't know how much other people average, but for the last probably 15, 18 years, I've averaged 5,000 lives a year, some years, 6,000 live, live endorsements a year, which is, I now know, ridiculous. Like, I, I honestly don't think anyone in the country probably touches that. So we make a lot of money for the station, and I'm one of the highest paid people. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, just, there's some sort of an algorithm that I don't know. I just figure as long as I'm making more money than I cost, I'm viable. Um, and, and the, the bigger gap I can put between that, the more viable and attractive I am. Uh, but that's one thing I've learned. Like you can be the funniest, most interesting person, but if you can't sell spots, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's at least equal to, if not of greater importance, being able to bring in money. Dave, for those listeners who might not understand what a live endorsement is, can you give us a quick example? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and do we have have to pay you? Do we have to pay you for this? (laughs) Yeah. You have to pay Steve. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's like, uh, we have 16, uh, segments a day and I do 16 lives a day. And so I'll finish up like, and that's how I poop my pants. And then I'll go right into Michael's flooring, been with me for 21 years and, and I'll do 60 seconds. And at this point in my career, I don't even use a clock anymore. I, I can't do anything uh, more or less than 60 seconds. It just happens naturally. And uh, that costs a few hundred bucks. And I typically get a little piece of that. And that's how the business works. And uh you know, like Frank Opinion was the king of that. And back in the old Camwex days, you had guys that were great at that. And I'm not the only one in town that's good at it. It's just kind of a lost art, though. And uh, so that's really what I bring to it. And then trying to bring in the best numbers I can for ratings uh, so that they can sell uh, recorded spots around me. But 
Uh, I remember one time when I was at Emmis, my uh, big, big manager flew in the head of programming for the whole company because we're having trouble uh, completing a contract. And he was having a bad day. And he had uh, his, uh, my deal memo. And he said, look, I can, I can black out your name. I don't even need to know who you are. I just need to know how much you bring in and how much we pay you. And he later really regretted that because we were friends. But I remember at that moment, I was so romantic about radio and I was so romantic about my company. And, I, and it hit me like, oh, that's right. This is business. This is a, this is a job. And that was really good for me because it allowed me to step back and stop looking at radio like a, a woman I was in love with and start looking at it like my business. Have you ever had to do a live endorsement for a product that you really didn't want to endorse? <sighs> Probably only in the really early days. Um, I remember it's so funny because like I said, I've done probably literally more live endorsements than anyone ever. Uh, but when I first started, John Beck, my boss, and Joe Rush, who's also my boss, I said, hey, I'm ready to do live endorsements. And I got into radio by being a live endorser. I, I was an advertiser. So I knew, I knew about them. I had paid for them for three years. And they said, we just don't hear it. We don't hear you being able to do live endorsements. And my very first one was for Priscilla's Sex Shop. And my boss heard me talking about the special in aisle five and came in and took the copy out of my hand uh, because someone had sold a live for a sex shop and I was really selling it. And that was literally my first live ever on the air. And <laughs> I, I sold the hell out of question. it too. Aisle five was cleared out by 5 p.m. So final question for you. What do you see as the future of talk radio? I, uh, not to cost any of my colleagues jobs or anything, but I, I, I think and I hope that the bomb throwing gets boring. It's become boring to me. I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I'll cross swords intellectually with anyone. I'm just bored by it. And I think people are going to become increasingly bored. Now, for the midterms and certainly for the next presidential election, people get heated up just the same way that people watch the Super Bowl who haven't watched the game all year. That's always going to happen. But on a Tuesday, on an off election year, I, my gut is that kind of radio is going to become boring, especially to the younger generations. I have a 26-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. And the thing about them is they demand authenticity. They, they just demand it. Uh, we put up with it and, and, and rewarded it. You know, we didn't care what Johnny Carson was really like behind the scenes. Just, you know, make me laugh, do the monologue. And I think the younger generations demand transparent authenticity. And here's the thing. That's going to be harder for broadcasters to deliver than anything ever, because it, it is almost literally like taking the stage and taking your clothes off because you have to be that vulnerable on the air. I, my audience knows more about me than most people's spouses know about them because I've just been so incredibly open. And that was a choice I made. Um, but yeah, I think that's the way, I think that's the way broadcasting is going to change. It's going to be less shtick and less, less uh, you know, Hollywood and more like podcasts. You know, that's I think that's great for talk radio because people in their 30s used to say, I'm too young to listen to talk radio. Well, now people in their teens listen to podcasts and all podcasts are is talk radio. 
And, and so I think that's going to allow people who are 28 years old, 37 years old, to hear a show like mine or a future show when I'm long gone on KMOX or 97.1 and, and, and not feel uh, stupid about listening, you know, like they're aging uh, ahead of time or something like that. I'm Megan Lynch with media literacy expert Julie Smith. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our Media Literacy Project. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.